This is Shifting Our Schools, episode 39, The Laptop Learning Curve. Listen up, educators. Are you looking to take your classroom to the next level? The technological shift in education is happening right now. If you're looking to integrate technology into your classroom, you're in the right place. Welcome to Shifting Our Schools with your host, Jeff Udick. Well, welcome back to Shifting Our Schools, and thank you, as always, for listening. Hoping many of you are enjoying your midwinter break. At least here in the Pacific Northwest, many schools take this week as a midwinter break. And um, I'm always wondering where was that when I was in school. I'm not sure when this phenomenon became a thing, but I don't ever remember getting a week off in February uh, when I was in school. But hopefully many of you are getting a chance to um, just take some time for yourselves. Uh, if not, if you don't have this week off, uh, it should be at least a three-day weekend. With, uh, please take some time for yourself. Uh, and as always, you can always listen to a podcast as a way to unwind. Just a couple quick things before we get to today's show. Don't forget, we want to hear from you. Uh, your questions or comments are always something we look forward to seeing. And we've set up a flip grid over at sospodcast.org slash questions as a way for you to leave a quick little video clip uh, with questions and comments about the show. Um, and what we love the most is we have now partnered with Flipgrid and being one of our sponsors, you can now get Flipgrid Classroom, which is their premium edition, uh, for free for 45 days. And so we're so excited that we've partnered with Flipgrid to bring this to you. Uh, so you can go over and you can sign up for Flipgrid Classroom and there'll be a place to put a, a offer code. And when you add the offer code Eduro Learning, that's E-D-U-R-O, Learning, all one word, Eduro Learning at checkout. And you get the fully featured Flipgrid classroom for free for 45 days. And then after that, I'm sure you're going to want to upgrade. It's not very expensive and it's just full of possibilities. We really appreciate Flipgrid uh, again for sponsoring Shifting Our Schools podcast and getting you those 45 free days of Flipgrid classroom. Also, if you like what you hear here, here, here at Shifting Our Schools, we hope that you uh, help us spread the message by leaving comments on whatever platform you listen to us on. It helps us get noticed in places like Spotify or iTunes or the Google Play Music Store. Uh, so if you like an episode, we'd really appreciate it if you just head on over to the store. Give us just a quick little rating review. Uh, let, let other people know that this is a, a good podcast uh, and so they can download it too. So we'd appreciate that if you've got some time uh, to just head over and, and set, give us a review on our podcast show. And lastly, we're very excited to announce as we get ready to roll into March here that over at Edera Learning, which is the company uh, that I co-founded with Kim Cofino and, and some others, that... We also are in the final phases of launching our 30 days of free professional development at Edera Learning. That's 30 days free of PD. So each day for 30 days, you will get access to incredible content, PDFs, videos, articles. There'll be some behind the scenes audio footage from podcasts like this, all created by us at Edera Learning for you. We're so excited to be rolling this out. We're putting the final touches on it now and it should be ready to go. However, the only way you can get access to that is you have to sign up for the Edura Learning Newsletter. And so if you head over to Edura Learning, that's E-D-U-R-O, learning, L-E-A-R-N-I-N-G.com, eduralearning.com, scroll to the bottom, you'll see a place there to sign up for the newsletter, uh, and that will get you ready to go when we're ready to roll this out. So we're so excited for this. You're going to be hearing more about this in future podcasts too as we get closer, but uh, it's going to be a great 30 days of learning for you from us. As we get ready to go into the show this week, Kim Cofino leads a conversation with our educators from around the world uh, as they discuss the laptop learning curve with students who are being raised with mobile devices. And what does that mean when we're here in schools trying to give every kid a laptop and yet kids are being raised on mobile devices? It's a great conversation and you're in for a treat. So here we go on to the show. Hello, and welcome back to another Eduro Learning Advisory podcast. We are super excited to be here for our first podcast of 2018, and our topic for today is the laptop learning curve. Our question is, why are we investing so much into laptop programs when students are learning with mobile devices all the time? And I was just mentioning right before we started our call that this 
inspired by a conversation we had with Liv when she was talking about the first time she was provided a laptop at school. And she was like, like, what is with this mouse? Like, why can't I touch the screen? And then we have all this learning that has to go on to teach how to use the device when we could just be purchasing potentially cheaper devices that do more and are more comfortable for our student users. So that's kind of our big theme for today. And before we get started into talking about that, would everyone please introduce themselves? And I'm just going to make this super easy and start um, asking people to introduce based on the list that's on my screen. So I'm going to start with Clint. Hi, everyone. My name is Clint Hamada, and I am at the International School of Beijing. And next, Cynthia and Liv. Um, hi, my name is Liv, and this is my mom, Cynthia. And I make videos for kids, and we are in Durham, New Hampshire. And Carrie Lee. Hi, I'm Carrie Lee Beasley, and I'm coming to you from Switzerland, um, the international, sorry, Gems World Academy in Switzerland. And um, it's a pretty rainy day here, so hope you. I don't know if it's just me, Carrie Lee, but I feel like your scarf or something might be getting in the way of your mic. Uh, we did hear that you were from Gems World Academy in Switzerland, but I just want to make sure. In the future, we can hear everything that you say. Okay, sorry. I'm using my uh, laptop mic at the moment. So okay, hopefully much better. Got it. And last but not least, Panna. Hi, I'm Panna Azavavatana, and I am at Taipei American School in Taiwan. Yay. And I didn't introduce myself. My name is Kim, and I'm currently living in uh, Bangkok, Thailand, and I am with Itero Learning. So who wants to start off, like, thoughts about this whole idea of the fact that our students are so used to working on mobile devices and that bringing laptops, I don't know, is that a good thing? Is it important that they know how to use these other devices or are we wasting our time? What do we think? That was actually a question that I couldn't answer on my own. I actually had to seek advice because I work with the youngest kids, KA through, well, pre-K through two. And for me, it's still all iPads, but, um, yeah, so I went to our tech director, and he basically told me that if you go up through the school and think about programs like Mathematica by Wolfram, anything that requires, or like even Final Cut Pro, it doesn't run on an iOS yet because it can't run on the internet. Anything that, that's reliant on the internet can't be mobile. Or, yeah, that you can't, you have to rely on the internet for can be mobile, but if not, then you need more, you know, power. power. Exactly. And um, especially, I mean, Clint, you might actually know this too, but like the Mandarin language, there's too many characters to host it. You can't run Mandarin fully, like with Pinyin and with, um, like in Taiwan, we have Bopomofo, which is another phonetic system. You can't run that on a Chromebook. And it doesn't go on Google Docs. Just tell me it, what that was called again, because that was fun. Bopo Mofo. <laughs> anyway. I, I agree. I think there's like, if you look at our school, um, looking across from pre-K three, which is like three-year-olds up to grade 12, you know, we've made a really conscious choice about our continuum of devices. And I mean, it's iPad, it's mobile devices in uh, the lowest elementary school. We actually go iPads. Um, up until grade four, you don't have to be iPads, but I think that idea of a mobile touch-based device. Um, one thing that we have done, though, with our older kids in that spectrum is also given them a, a Bluetooth keyboard mm. because they are finding that they are doing more and more text input. Um, you know, the, the teachers are trying to get them to do more sort of research-based um a lot of it is written work or even it's making slides, but they are like working on their keyboarding and they're working on, um, they do a lot of text input. So we're like, well, they didn't like doing it in the, it's easy on a phone. It's a little bit harder on a full size kind of seven, 10 inch iPad to, to use that on-screen keyboard. So we gave them yeah. a, a, a Bluetooth keyboard. Um, in, in China, they're relatively inexpensive, so it didn't add anything to it. Um, but as we go up further to the school, it's, you know, in, in middle school, it's, it's, laptops in high school it's laptops um same thing we can't run some of the programs that we want to run especially as we're going more to like the high-end maker stuff um mm -hmm. sort of 3d printing 3d designing you can do on an ipad at a basic level but if you wanted to get more intricate 
you know, sort of the, the professional kind of prosumer level, which is what we want our high school students to be using. Um, that's currently not available on a mobile device. That said, you know, what's, what's it going to be in five years' time? When you look at the, the iOS developments and you look at, like, macOS developments, they are converging, right? Mm-hmm. You look at the, the Mac, or sorry, the iPad Pro, that is the same thing as a MacBook Air, both in terms of, like, function for the most part and price, Right. So you're going to see, I think you're going to see this convergence. Um, but I get Liv's point, you know, like you see the videos on YouTube or my kids have done it as well. You hand them a magazine and they're like, it doesn't touch. It doesn't swipe. You give them a, a, a laptop and they're like trying to click the icons by pushing because That's just what they're used to. Um, how do we mediate the tension between those two things is a, is a good question. Here's the thing though. More and more laptops have a touchscreen. So that those two worlds are kind of, I mean, not Max, not yet, but, you know, Lenovo's or right. touch Chromebooks, you know? Right. And so it's, those companies are trying to make up for it, for mm-hmm. the whole tablet thing by making their screens touch screens. I think in our school, we're um, sort of pre-K to five, grade five, uh, they use uh, iPads. And beyond that, it's laptops. But I think it really comes down to what it is that you're doing with the device. And I think your Bluetooth keyboard idea is a really great one. Clint might steal that. Thanks. Um, ours are at the moment BYOD. So the kids are choosing to have that. A lot of them do choose to bring their own um, Bluetooth keyboard. But on the one hand, you've got the mobility. It's certainly easier to physically hold and pick up and move around with um, an iPad. It's also easier to take video and create and so on on a mobile device. Um, but predominantly, what are we seeing teachers do with students in class? Is it just replacing the pen and paper with um, typing? Because if that's the case, then you can't beat a laptop for just getting that out. I think the, the cost is obviously a factor, so Chromebooks straddle that rather nicely with their touch screen and the, um, and the keyboard as well. But I think, uh, like Pana and Clint have already said, we are going to head to a convergence shortly in the future, if not with all of the major players, I believe, at again. I'm curious about Liv's experience. Like, I remember when you were telling us that story on a previous call, what was it like for you when you were given that laptop and you, you had that moment of, ugh, this doesn't work the way I expect? Like, did that have a long-term kind of impact on your learning experience? Or was that like a super short thing? Like, oh, I get it now. This is how it works. It's fine. I can do it. The thing about it is that when I got to use it, I didn't get much help with it because everyone else was so focused on helping everybody else. And when I tried to do it, I eventually just kind of taught myself. I kept on trying things. Like I said, okay, I typed this. I put my cursor here. I didn't. And now we're actually taking a technology class, learning how to use them. That kind of helps a little bit. And so now I kind of get, I kind of get the lingo on how, where I'm supposed to type and where I'm supposed to get to places and all the different browsers so now it's a bit easier for me but i think that before that class i was a mess do you feel like you were one of the only kids who felt that way or did all the kids feel that way i think that i was one of the only because all the other kids seemed like that they had already experienced using computers i think mostly because a lot of kids played video games on them Mm. a lot of the time (laughs) how do you do that can you teach me how you do that and then whenever they did it, it would look so complicated. I would try to do it, and then I would end up messing up the computer. So I was probably maybe about five kids didn't exactly know what they were doing. They were still using mobile devices. So I think that's really interesting because probably most of Liv's like, computer literate life has always been mobile. So from the home perspective. So then she goes into school where they're using a tool, you know, in, in a different way. And although I think she could teach herself, I think it speaks a lot about like sort of like what are those what are those skills that she's learning and are those the most useful skills for her to be learning so i think it's an interesting story from that perspective um but also from the perspective of literacy and learning um i think we can actually do more on a mobile device with learning her thinking and so in some ways i sort of question and it's sort of like the argument of like do we teach kids handwriting like every single teacher that i work with always says kids have to know how to keyboard, but so much of keyboarding 
in my opinion, is, is easier and more fluent on a mobile device than it is when you're on a Chromebook. And that's really the go-to around here. Um, when I'm doing my work with teachers in the States, it's really Chromebooks that to me, those are a little bit clunky. I still have this huge question of whether or not the hangup on the keyboarding and the keyboard, the physical keyboard is more our hangup as adults, because we, we now need to type on a keyboard, but kids who are growing up on mobile devices, they just learn how to type equally as fast on a tablet or a mobile device. But for us, we're like, but no, they need the keyboarding skills. And yes, if they go from a mobile device to a, to a computer or a laptop, they are going to slow down because the technique is different and they haven't learned it yet. So I don't know if you force them into it, it's, it's definitely going to be a learning curve. Well, it's such a good point about the handwriting too, because we're still arguing over whether or not kids should be taught handwriting. So now we're still arguing over handwriting and so many people really passionately believe about how critical handwriting is. And we can have a whole nother conversation about that. And now we're in the place we're having the same discussion about kids need to learn how to keyboard. And like, like Penna is saying, you can, I can see myself when I'm on my phone, I can type just as fast as I can when I'm on my computer. It's different, but the predictive text, you know, like there's different elements of typing on a mobile device that make me be fast because I'm used to it the same way I'm used to using my computer between both. Mm-hmm. And if people are really worried about that, most of the typing um, programs now do have a mobile keyboard um, element to it. So I can I can download some of these like typing tutors on my iPhone and just practice that. Mm. Whose music is that? Can anybody else hear that? No. What is going on? <laughs> that one out (laughs) but it's such an interesting question because we tend to really hold on to what we are comfortable with and expect that everyone else you know the younger generation has to fit into that paradigm because that's what we are comfortable with and i totally hear the point that clint and maybe Panna was making before too. Yes, I think you both are making the point about more professional level or prosumer level apps, you know, the access to be able to use those things when you get older, but especially in the younger years, like how critical is it that we have access to a laptop? And then Cynthia's point that Liv can do more on a mobile device than a laptop. I want to explore that more too, because I think that people don't feel that way either. Like that's another kind of controversial point. Well, I think one of the things to remember is that on a mobile device, Liv is completely independent. And so she can show her thinking in multiple ways. But when she's on that Chromebook in school, there are a lot more, there's, like she said, there wasn't time to help her or however you said that, that the teachers were occupied helping other kids. And so I also think it's, it's what our mindset is around helping kids create and helping them show what they know. Do we want them to be independent and to have, you know, all of these opportunities? In my opinion, Yes. Or do you want them to be completely dependent on the teacher? I think it's also about the teacher view and what their role is and how they support students. So I, I just, I, maybe I'm very different from all of you, but I do work with teachers who are very dependent on um, me teaching them every last little step. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, let's just focus in and try um, rather than taking notes. Cause I promise you those notes won't be helpful later on. If you just get in the, and I think that's, the mindset that live and kids now have, they just jump right in to the device and they give it a go. And I still think that maybe as adults, we're much more hesitant about mm-hmm. doing that, that somehow we're going to break it or make a mistake or not or do something that doesn't show um, what we thought it might show. And so I, I, that's what the spirit that I, I just would love to encourage more with teachers is that spirit of, I can do it and let's just use this device to help me show my thinking in a unique way and not to be so scared about getting it right. Well, I think you hit on two really important points. And one of them is, is how open are we as educators for students to show what they know in unique and different ways? And I think then that follows on to the second point you made about that idea about control, because if the teacher doesn't know how to do the thing the student wants to do to show what they know in a new and unique way, they can feel that loss of control and feel really stressed out about that and therefore want to bring them right back to the way that they know how to show what they know, which is very often like a reflection or something written down. And, you know, there's only so many of those things that we can 
force students to do before they start wanting to do something different. Um, so I think that is a, it's a whole, almost like a cultural yes. element. I, I would just kind of pile on to what Kim is saying. I think a lot of times teacher will, teachers will default back to, you know, the, the way in which the assessment has always happened, right? And they redesign their expectations or they redesign their classroom environment with mobile devices, but they don't change their expectation of use. And then they're like, oh, well, the laptop was better from before. Well, of course it was better from before because you didn't actually use all the cool things that your iPad can do. Um, we've seen a resurgence at our school with iPads, especially like in the upper grades in the middle school and the high school, because we have a new um, ed tech facilitator who's come in. She's revamped the iPad. She's like, let's put like some useful apps on there. And is really like, curating apps that people are going to want to use and then she's showing people how that just ideas for using them and they're like going oh wow what a great idea and as she you know we're turning people away going oh you're gonna have to wait a little bit you know like how do we get more devices that we can because not in the middle school and high school all the kids have laptops but they don't have mobile devices so we check those out right so like well we're, how are we going to either get more devices or or manage this but like once people can see how it can change what they're able to do and people start changing their thinking about what they want them to do. It's like, Oh yes, that's a great idea. Let's do more of that. So I think that point there, Clint is like teachers don't know what they, everyone doesn't know what they don't know. Right. So that, that kind of fear of like trying to take that risk happens because I don't know what I don't know. And I feel comfortable with what I already know. So I'm just going to keep doing that. And Mm -hmm. I think for most of us in our positions, our schools are big. We may not, know what everybody knows and how to move them to the next level. So I guess maybe something we could talk about is like strategies, like how do you help teachers figure out what it is they don't know and see the value in taking that risk and trying that new thing? Like what kinds of strategies work? What do you see happening in your schools? Any thoughts on that? I'll go first. Just because, I mean, last week we had, you know, these these PD sessions. A lot of times it's sort of principal-led meetings or whatever, but this past week was what we call teachers teaching teachers. I'm sure that happens at many, many schools. Just internal PD. We all, you know, kind of like a mini conference on campus for an hour and a half or two hours. And just allowing teachers the ability, right, being there, not just saying, oh, here's an iPad, go and play with it, but giving them some focused learning, giving them some, you know, guided inquiry almost, like you would do with your students, right? Here's some tasks, here's some things to think about, and then breaking that down with the teachers and be like, okay, here's what I did. You know, what is this, what is this bringing up in your mind? What are you guys thinking about? Why don't you guys brainstorm and come up with some ideas and just get them, like, just kind of chewing on that problem. So it's like, oh yeah, I I could do this and then get them excited about it. Um, And for us, that's turned into just this amazing amount of momentum initially. Now the struggle is how do you maintain that momentum and how do you help, how do you help teachers deal with the inevitable frustration of something not happening exactly as it happened last time because it's new and it's new to the kids and it's right, which we know it's going to happen and that's okay. And that's a great question. I'm curious. I totally agree with your um, thing about teachers teaching teachers. I think that's the best way for um, teachers to find out about new things because it comes from another voice that's like just like them. But that mm-hmm. makes me think of a question. Liv, have you ever had the experience where a teacher has tried something new in your classroom and you can tell they maybe they don't quite know exactly what they're doing and it doesn't quite go exactly to plan? Like, how does that happen? And what does that feel like as a student? I always encourage teachers to just try it and it'll be okay. And the kids will help you, but maybe the kids are all sitting there like silently judging me when I do that. I don't know. Uh, Every single day, my teacher kind of doesn't exactly know how to work the medium board. Whenever he's trying to like do a page, he doesn't realize that it's frozen and he just keeps on checking it for like five minutes. Then someone, some kid just goes, it's frozen. And he's like, why didn't you tell me that sooner? It's like, because it's kind of funny just to kind of watch as someone who's older who should have more experience with it just like not know what they're doing. And I could screw up and go, okay, you do this, then you click this, and then you let it load, and then boom, you're there. Instead of just like to watch, but 
Yes, it's ha- that mostly happens every single day. Guys, they are silently judging us. That is the moral of that story that I just learned. <laughs> Listen, can we edit that part out? Because that's not going to do well for morale. No. <laughs> So like, or okay. it means step up your game, teachers. Yeah, and also, what could teachers be doing in this situation? Okay, that's like a bad example because maybe they didn't realize they didn't know what they were doing. But what would be okay for teachers? And I'm, I'm going to probably put the answer by saying this this way. But what could be a good way for teachers to role model, like trying something new in a successful way that is maybe shows you guys that, yeah, it's okay to take risks and we're going to learn together and kind of be open-minded. Um, well, do you feel like that, Liz? Do you feel like when you see your teacher doing that, that, that he's learning something new? Or do you feel... Well, he makes the same mistake every day. <laughs> so it doesn't seem like he's learning from it. It more seems like that he's either doing it on purpose or just keeps on forgetting. But I think it would be kind of good if he tried to remember that it's on freeze because then it might be able then kids can maybe if he did it like one day and then the next kids say oh it's okay to make mistakes and then yeah or if he asked for help then maybe that would be able for kids to see like it's always okay for you to ask for help and it's always okay to make mistakes but now it's kind of getting out of hand like ever since the beginning of the school year ever since I hope he's not watching. Oh, Oh, no. But I think that's the thing. I think, Liv, you hit on the really important point is I think the teachers that are worried that the kids are silently judging them are the same teachers that are afraid to ask for help and afraid to show that they don't know. And I think that's like the common theme throughout all of this, whether it's thinking about using mobile devices in your classroom or getting kids to show what they know in different ways or just being open-minded about how you use the laptops if that's all you have available to you it's that like recognizing that it's okay to be vulnerable in front of your students and to say look I'm trying this for the first time let me know if you know a better way to do what I'm doing this is just the only way I know right now but you can teach me too I think just one of the things I always encourage my teachers too is to ask the kids what apps do you love and oh yeah like feature those apps over the course of a week and to have kids trying them you know what apps really help you as a reader as a thinker as a writer um, just recently, because Liv has started a podcast, um, we have this great podcast uh, podcast podcast app. That, the tongue twister. Um, I know that Charlotte, who's six, um, who's a kindergartner, has been using, and she can be completely independent on this app. It's called Record Studio, and she can add sound effects because, of course, she's jealous as the little sister who you know is watching her big sister have um, a podcast of her own, and so it's. Like, I just imagine, imagine if her entire kindergarten class could be on this app creating their own, um, you know, podcast for their books that they're reading. I just think it would be such a powerful thing. There's so much learning that's happening when Charlotte's exploring this app and trying to make her own podcast. And simple, simple app that she can use. Literally, I showed her in two minutes and she figured out all of the facets of it and how to add sound effects to her, to her recordings. I think there's also another, um, another subset of people that they will say, oh, the kids will do all the learning. They can figure it out. I don't really need to know. Mm. Um, and I don't really think that's right either because I think that it's, it's then they're not taking any responsibility to be sort of mentors in that process. They're, they're just sort of letting them go off and you're never really going to get expert use in that situation. So for example, if you think about making videos, Every kid knows how to record themselves and make a video, but they can make some really bad videos. And um, and teachers also can make some really bad videos. But t- taking some time to learn how to make a better video or a good video is something that I think all teachers really need to be doing, not just because it's important to role model those sort of things, but because of the nature of the media that we're using these days. And I think it's really important that, that they keep up with that. It's not okay to say, oh, the kids will know how to do it. They can, they can make their movies. Yeah, they can, but they're not going to make great ones. I think it, it's it's also like the vision, right, Carrie Lee? It's it's that that using devices is also a process, just like reading and writing is a process. So if teachers are going in with that mindset, then they would understand that it's almost like a draft. Your first video mm-hmm. is your first draft, and that wanting to make it better, you're going to look for all the ways that you would, just like in a piece of writing, to make it stronger, to make it better. So I think 
you know, really helping to support teachers in that mindset of process, even with a device is really powerful and really important. I, I do think that teachers understand process with reading and writing. So making it um, really visible. They do with that, but yeah. so few seem to transfer that to anything digital. Exactly. I, I think it's also, excuse me, the digital world is just changing way too fast for a lot of teachers who have been studying, you know, this is what reading and writing um, education has looked like for as long as I can remember. Yes, there's been a couple like new trends here and there, but every time you turn back to anything digital, there's something new mm. and it's going so fast for them that they're not used to that pace. Now, I don't think that's an excuse, but I do think that turning around to that realization can be a really, really tough one for educators and I personally have, of course, struggled, I'm sure, as many of you who work with teachers, with um, trying to help them understand the why and finding ways to help them see the connections to what they're already doing. Mm -hmm. And that's really where I try and dig in. It's just like, you're already doing this here. Let's make the link. And in a lot of ways, they already are. It's like modeling, being a role model, saying, I don't know how to do this. Hmm. What strategy could I use to figure it out? Does anyone else in the room know? Like that's modeling good digital citizenship and maybe seeing if somebody else could help you. How could we search for help? Who's a trustworthy person to ask? Uh, and digital citizenship is character ed. Every school has a character yeah. ed program and it's, it should be seen as one and the same. So in a lot of ways, I think that teachers don't see it yet but helping them to see that is I don't know I'm trying but it's it's a long process it is I, I want to say too that um from my experience as a literate sometimes I feel like an interloper so I go to tech conferences and because I'm a literacy trained person I look at every opportunity within the tech realm as an experience for literacy and I have to be honest with you sometimes when I'm with um tech people um, it is about let's, what's the best app? What's the newest thing? And it's not about the thinking. And so um, I can say from my own sessions where that's a lot of what I do is, is teach the why behind why we should be using certain apps or why certain apps are powerful in students' lives. But I don't always find that in an audience of, and I would say the same for tech people. I mean, I'm sorry, for literacy people that sometimes at literacy conferences, they don't always get my techie side. And so I feel like, where do I belong? And in my mind, I should belong in both places. And I feel like Liv's work should belong in both places. But we're not always received that way. So I think that's something to really think about. I think about it all the time. I'm not sure how to make it better, but it's it's for certain that I, I do feel like at lots of really popular conferences, it's about the snappiest tool and I don't think that's, from my experience working with teachers, that's not how the teachers in the classrooms that I work in, that's not how they think. And so then that makes that disconnect even deeper. Um, if the techie people going off to the conferences to learn are coming back with the newest, the newest app and the newest trick, and teachers aren't going to be receptive to that because there's not the thinking of the why behind it. I think all of us have had this exact same conversation independently in groups, you know, with each other, because I think the most frustrating thing to be as a, a coach to work with teachers or to even be leading a session with teachers, I find most teachers just want me to tell them which app they should use. They don't even care what it does, just which app is the newest one that they're supposed to use. And I'm you know, trying to talk about the why and, and it doesn't really matter which app you use. What you're doing is you're getting students to demonstrate their understanding in a multimedia format that allows them to process their thinking and demonstrate their writing skills and as well as their spoken skills and their ability to communicate a message and, you know, all these different things. And you can use 15 different tools. Don't stress yourself out about the tools. You can provide options to your students, but really what they want to walk away with is a list of new tools so they can check off that they went to a session and they got a list of new tools. You can tell that was, a, that was a lot just came out right now. That I have that frustration a lot of the time. And, and I would say they don't even want a list of new tools. They want the one tool that does everything. Yeah. yeah. And there isn't, you know, and that's why this whole, this whole genre of app smashing is such a, you know, it, it's the way to go. Right? Oh, you take this and you import that and then you do this and you add stickers there and then you do this and then you got a video and then you put it here and then boom, and then you're done. And teachers are like, yeah, just tell me one thing to do. 
yeah. that does all of that. Um, and it just doesn't exist. And, and that's that kind of fluency as well. That mm-hmm. to go back to our original question about mobile versus laptop, you know, that's a little bit easier for teachers to understand on a laptop because that's how they can do it. They can see how importing the programs work together a little bit. I think a lot of the students are much, much more adept at doing that on a mobile device. And like, you know, I've got my picture here and I made my collage there and then I threw it in Instagram there and then I popped it into Snapchat and did that. And I added this filter and pretty soon I have this masterpiece and like, you know, we old people are like, what did you just do? How come you just can't take a picture and be done with it? Um, you know, and I think it's just kind of, again, that tension between those two um, viewpoints. Because they're both the same thing. We just are looking at it from the other side of the mirror almost, right? And we don't necessarily see what the other person sees. We just kind of see the reflection of our own experience and they see the reflection of their own experience. But we're really looking at the same thing. Yeah. Deep. That was good. I'm trying to think of like how we can come together to some kind of understanding from this call. And I feel like there's so many pieces that we've actually covered. You know, we've talked about the, the validity of using a variety of devices in an academic setting, because perhaps for younger learners, it makes more sense to use tools Mm -hmm. where they're a little bit more independent and for older learners to use tools where they can be more prosumers. And we've also talked about it from the teaching side of things about how challenging it can be as a teacher to be that vulnerable person and also the challenges we have leading teachers and working with teachers as coaches to help them see the why and the purpose behind the tools that they use. I feel like this is like everything about like education and change when it comes to technology in the classroom. We've kind of had a conversation about so many elements. I'm not really even sure how to bring it together. I'm not a big... Oh, go on. Go on, Katie. I was wondering about whether in um, middle and high school they have laptops more regularly, right? Typically they they do. Is that because that's often when they get a phone and when teachers want to use that mobile device, they have their own personal one the time to use? And I was just wondering whether that was a, a thing. As a middle school teacher, for sure. I would always be like, get out your phone. If, you know, they couldn't do it on a laptop. But that's not why that that decision is made. I think that decision was made a long time ago before, you know, smartphones were readily available, partly because of age, partly because, you know, it's that shift from elementary school to middle school. It's that shift from kind of everybody in one single location for the most part to a more moving around location. And at that time there weren't mobile devices. The, The mobile device was the laptop. Right now, the mobile device is something a little bit different. I mean, ultimately, don't forget that the laptop was conceived as really a mobile device. Um, But I don't think teachers necessarily, certainly in my current school, we don't always do a great job of harnessing the power of personally owned mobile devices. And I know there's a lot of issues around policies in schools about, you know, should they have their phones out? And, you know, we're trying to kids are really good at using their personal devices for personal reasons. They're not so good about using personal devices for learning reasons. Um, So we have kids who are constantly playing games. And so we have like screen-free areas and screen-free times, which again, awesome, no problem. But then I think that also sometimes pervades the mindset of teachers to be like, oh yes, they shouldn't be using their phones. We won't use them in class. Like how do we leverage the technology that they already bring? And this goes back to the point that I was about to make when I interrupted Carrie Lee, um, I'm not normally a fan of like a bring your own device system because I think there's a lot of issues about it in terms of like logistical issues. But what I love about a bring your own device policy is you're not, you can't focus on an app or you can't, you have to focus on the why. And I don't care what you use to get there because I don't know what you have on your device. You might have a Mac, you might have a PC, you might have an iPad, you might have an Android tablet. I just want you to make a movie to show me what you know. So I can't be like, take out Windows Movie Maker or use iMovie. I'm like, show me visually how you've learned this. And then that opens up some more possibilities. I think if we can get teachers thinking that way, right? Again, don't start with the tools. Start with the why, things that we've always said. But it's easy when everybody has the same tool to say, use Pages to make a this. You know, use Mm -hmm. Keynote to make a that. Use Coach's Eye to do this. How about just reflect on what you've learned? Full stop. 
you know, and go from there. We, I think because of, um, just to make our lives easier, like pragmatic issues, we're saying here's, and here's how I want you to do it because we don't always trust that the kids can do it, but as Liv shows, they can, and they'll probably do it a thousand times better than I ever would, or definitely than I would ever think that they could Mm. trust the kids. Another thought that I had, though, while Liv was talking about, you know, her learning curve as, you know, she took on a laptop and how she was like trying to ask her classmates, how do you do this? Can you show me? But then it looked too complicated. I'm wondering if schools are, like Clint said, really focusing on so much. And I'm guilty of this, too. Like, let's use this app or this program to create this, and this is how you do it. Step one, do this. Step two, do this. But we haven't spent enough time going, what are the thinking strategies necessary so that our students can pick up any device and figure it out? Like, what does that entail? Mm. Yes, it's very vague and very broad, but what are the key questions that each student needs to know how to ask to filter through all right, what do I have to do first? This is my goal. I want to look at the screen. What's my first thinking strategy? That didn't work. What's my next thinking strategy? That didn't work. And to continue to go until they are successful. And do we give them time to learn and go through those processes, asking the questions, figuring it out? And I don't think we do. I think one thing that's worked really well, particularly with little guys, is going, okay, we're going to be using this new app. You haven't used it before. Have five minutes. Have a play around. See what you can find out. That's a really powerful one. Um, And often you find new functions that you've never noticed before. They certainly tell you that. Um, And I've completely lost the train of thought on what what the other one was. But I think it was something to do with modeling. Um, In that I think we don't model – oh, yeah. We don't often model – our thinking strategies. Mm-hmm. So I haven't used this app before, but here's what I do know. Here's the help menu. So if I get stuck, I can find this. Um, so maybe if teachers did a little bit more of that as well as giving kids time to explore it without the we're only going to use it for this one particular thing and it's going to be exact, you know, we're going to have 22 versions of exactly the same whatever it is that we're making. Mm-hmm. I think we're really natural doing that now with text with students and modeling, like if you think about a read aloud, that the teachers are doing that a lot and they're modeling. We've coached teachers, sure you all have as well, teachers around their own thinking, making their thinking visible. But it is about making your thinking visible in the same, it's, it's looking at an app as an opportunity to be like a text. And so helping teachers, maybe if there's that direct connection and that modeling for teachers, maybe there would be some Speaker, um, maybe teachers would, would be more willing to do that if they saw that direct link. And I think I didn't think about that until Carrie Lee was sort of talking about the modeling. So really make a direct connection for teachers, making your thing possible. I wonder if there are any behaviors that students who are successful or who are more confident in picking up a new app and just running it versus, or the same thing with, with adults, with teachers who can you know, pick up an iPad app and figure out for the most part how it works. I wonder if there are any like common behaviors that they exhibit. exhibit. I'm wondering like, you know, where do they look and where do they click and what do they touch? And how can you see how somebody picks up a new app and just, you know, people who struggle, what do they do? They just kind of look at the, the front page and don't really do anything versus people who are willing to try and what that looks like. You know, you see all of these like, screen capture technologies about where people are looking on the screen. And, you know, when they're reading a web page, they start at the top left and they kind of go the bottom corner diagonal and they go down the, like we can track eye movement that way. How do we track eye movement and like finger movement or click movement on an iPad to see what is it that people are doing in order to, I think all of these questions, sorry, Clint, I think all of these questions are like a perfect conversation for our next call, because I bet all of us have really interesting thinking strategies and like Mm. just that we have when we're thrown in front of a new device that would be just fascinating to share. Like I have an example that Alex and I got new phones over the Christmas break and we got an iPhone 10 and it works differently than the iPhone six, whatever I had before. And like the first day or two, it's really frustrating because it works differently, but then 
mention that, Clint. I'm thinking, oh, these were all the strategies that were going through my head every time I had to figure out how to use this device differently than my old one. I think like I just wrote down some notes in, in our notes, um, like how we can have this conversation next time, because we've talked for almost 45 minutes already. And I think this could be a really interesting prompt. And we could look at it from Liz's point of view as a kid who hasn't had like a lifetime of using desktops and laptops. And then our experience, like how we transition from a laptop to a mobile device and why that might look different for us because we grew up using different types of devices. Like, I think that's a perfect conversation for our next call. I would love to see Liv, for example, like give give Liv a new app and see how she tears it apart and be like, bam, I got that sorted because she knows what all the icons mean and she, you know, maybe, right? And then give her the, a, a new uh, desktop program on her Chromebook or on her MacBook or whatever she has and see what happens and are there things that she does that's similar that she does that's, and me as well. Like, what do I do that's different? I would like to think that I have the same strategies, but maybe I don't. I don't know. Guinea pigs, I like it. <laughs> yeah, let's let's do this. Let's let's explore something we never used before. And I know we did musically last last time, I think. So that was one example of like trying to play around with something we're not comfortable with. But maybe all of us could just tackle something we haven't done before and talk about because it's good when it's actually happened to you recently, you remember mm-hmm. what are those strategies that you used and what was the process that you went through. And it doesn't matter. We can all do something individual, but maybe something you've wanted to give. Uh, maybe we can all try something and next time talk about what were the strategies that were useful for us and what do we think maybe the top kind of fluency strategies we need today to handle this constant change. What do you guys think? fluency. Yeah. All right. Excellent. Okay. So that's going to be our next call. But before we have that call, are there any resources that you guys have read, seen, watched, listened to recently that you think are interesting, maybe relevant to this conversation, maybe not, but uh, that you'd be willing to share with us so that we can have a deeper look later? Um, I can recommend the, um, the Record Podcasting Studio. That, that app is a lot of fun. Cool. That was the one that you were talking about earlier, that your mom was talking about earlier, Record Studio, right? Yes. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I was just at a conference this weekend and talking to a whole bunch of different people. And so I'm, I haven't read them yet, but I'm really excited to share with my team back at school, maybe with my ed tech coaching team, a, a book called Mapping Innovation by Greg Sattel that came out earlier this year in 2017. Play a playbook for navigating the disruptive age. And then with my librarian team, somebody mentioned this book called Bibliotech, Why Libraries Matter More Than Ever in the Age of Google, um, and talking about the sort of what what's um, some of the challenges for libraries, like physical libraries moving forward and how actually it's more important that we have them rather than less important with all of this online information. Um, so I'm hoping that we can maybe do a couple of book studies with a couple of different groups within our school around those two resources. Um, I read an interesting article called, the title was Fake News About the Future of Education. And I don't know if you guys saw it as well, but um, I found it interesting because it kind of links to the idea that Educators are always looking to the future. Well, at least like in our field, we're looking to the future. What's the next thing? Here's how we prepare for the future. But we haven't actually gone back to see if any of the things that we predicted about what we started implementing has been effective or not. And if we take the past, the present and the future altogether, we might be more effective in terms of, you know, instead of defining, well, here's the next thing. So we have to get ready for that. Um, I found it really, I'll put the link in, but it was an interesting perspective to read about. Cool. Um, I was in London last week on a, um, at an, a one-day event on screen time, and it was uh, with some researchers at various universities from Oxford, Cardiff, uh, Liverpool, all sorts of things. It was really interesting. Um, I'm just popping in a link to um, um, 
which I'm, I'm sure that Kim will help me share. Um, this was the sort of a summary of some of the findings, but briefly it was basically saying that a lot of the research um, that's done around screen time focuses a lot on um, really, really tiny correlations uh, sorry, yeah, but not necessarily causations, and they also give us a lot of um, just a, a lot of media hype over this, the impact that it's having, and so a lot of the studies were broken down, and articles that I'm sure were shared around your Facebook, um, like mine, um, sort of the myths were kind of busted, really, and it sort of basically implies that we need to do more research for sure, but what the research that's been done isn't indicating that screen time as a measure is any uh, is harmful to students, generally speaking. Cool. So that was interesting. And another one that I wanted to highlight um, was Museum. It's like Museum, but Museum. And it's got some really good um, resources on um, media literacy. And uh, you do have to sign up. It's a bit of a pain. You have to sign up and create an account and all of that before you can access them. But in some of the collections, I think some of the information about fake news and teaching kids to be critical about what they're reading online is really well put together. So I'd encourage you to check those out. Awesome. Thank you. I'm going to totally cheat. I have tons of other examples, but I'm cheating and I'm going to use the book that Adura Learning just published called Your Connected Classroom. And I'm using it not only to be totally promotional, which I understand that I am, but I'm also using it because I was working with the school last week and we were talking about digital citizenship and the process of like how to go about getting kids to share their learning in new and unique ways and how to connect with a wider audience. And every example I was giving, every like process, every strategy, every idea I had, I was like, oh, that's in the book too. And like everything I would say, oh yeah, that's in the book too. Um, so I... You know, I know that I had a hand in writing it, but it's actually really good. And there's a lot of really good, useful stuff in here. So if you're working with teachers that are new to even understanding why you would want to connect your classroom, why you would want to use tools to demonstrate thinking in new and unique ways, and then how to get that done in a very short and practical approach that is written by teachers for teachers, check it out. It's awesome, and it's got tons of great stuff. All right, so I will wrap up our call now. Thank you to everybody so much for another awesome conversation and for sparking a great idea for our next call. Uh, really appreciate the time that you have taken to share with us today. This video will be up on our YouTube channel and soon on our podcast channel with an exciting new name to come shortly. So thanks, everybody, for today, and see you guys next time. Bye. 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 Bye, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Shifting Our Schools with your host, Jeff Udick. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit sospodcast.org, facebook.com slash Jeff Udick, and on Twitter at judick. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time on Shifting Our Schools.